embryos. Welcome to Knickknack News. I'm Alex. And I'm Anthony. And, and this, this is, is episode 150! And my first story is technology news. This is from The Verge. Zoom Escaper lets you sabotage your own meetings with audio problems, crying babies, and more. What? <laughs> it's a it's a web app. Oh. Um, so it's created. Oh, wow. it, was cre- it was created by artist Sam Levine. Uh, it's called Zoom Escaper, and it's a free web widget that lets you add an array of fake audio effects to your next Zoom call, giving you numerous reasons to end the meeting and escape. You can choose from barking dogs, construction noises, crying babies, or subtler effects like choppy audio and unwanted echoes. So to like mimic your audio cutting in and out, or like that echo sound that you get if you um, aren't using headphones or if you don't have like echo canceling on your on your microphone. Yeah. Um, and there's like there was an example video, and it was. I mean, they didn't show the choppy audio, but they did show the the echoes, and it sounded exactly like that, which huh. just makes any meeting almost impossible to listen to. Yeah. Um, so all you need to do is download a free bit of audio software called VB Audio that routes your audio through the website, and then you change your audio input in Zoom from your microphone to VB Audio and play with the effects, and then like th- your you have your microphone, you give the website permission to have your microphone, and it kind of like routes the the sound through the website and that's how they're able to like modify it before it goes through to zoom. Um, so if you're running it, you can't actually hear the sound effects yourself, but the author of the article tried all of the effects with a colleague. Uh, their opinion was that the upset baby provided the most excusable reason to drop a call, but it also requires people to believe that you have a baby. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's an which, important, which, uh, is, which is difficult important detail. sometimes if you don't have one. <laughs> um, <laughs> And they said that the choppy audio and echo were also apparently very annoying. <laughs> but basically, they went through each of the effects, and the person just like gave like a one sentence like remark on what it was. Oh, okay. But it was uh, yeah. It sounded like the the messed up audio were, were was really bad. <laughs> uh, so Zoom Escaper isn't the first of Levine's projects to inflict uh, self <laughs> like computer self harm. Uh, he had a 2017 quote unquote work called The Good Life that let users sign up to receive all hundred, all 225,000 emails confiscated from Enron during its 2001 <laughs> implosion. So you could sign up to receive like 49 emails a day for the next 28 years. <laughs> Which is so funny for some reason. Why? Um, he also made a, a website called called Slow Hot Computer in 2016 that just causes your computer to run really slowly and hot by, like, repeatedly downloading an, an image file to, like, the point where your computer is barely usable. <laughs> what? He says what? you can use it to make yourself less productive at work, but... What? <laughs> I don't know. It's... <laughs> Why would that be your strategy for reducing your yeah. productivity or I think more of it it's it's more of a performance art kind of yeah, situation. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Another thing that I he understand. made which I thought was funny is called Zoom Deleter, which is a small program that just continues continuously checks for the presence of Zoom on your computer and if it finds it it, Im- it immediately deletes it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just going to take you forever to Join a Zoom meeting so every you, time, or you could never join it because it would just like immediately find it and delete the and delete all the files. So 
no more Zoom. Wow. <laughs> it's one way, it's an aggressive way to get rid of Zoom if you're really, yeah. if you're that sick of it. Um, I could yeah. see that being a pretty mean-spirited prank on somebody else, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, if you're that kind of person. Yeah. I, I wouldn't do that to somebody, but right. yeah. So uh, we're going to have a Zoom later today, but uh, first I need everyone to download this file. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why is it called Zoom Deleter? Don't worry about that. <laughs> it's not what it looks like. Just It sounds like a, a web app for embracing chaos, which you know I wholeheartedly I, approve. I understand. My first story is random local news. We haven't had one of these in a while. I was going to say, this is a a long time, long time missing. Yeah. This is from (laughs) WTAP.com. The headline is, Rescuers save two from pickup dangling over deep Idaho gorge. Oh, Oh, no. Yeah. So there was a daring rescue that happened. This week, authorities say uh, a set of camp trailer safety chains and a quick and quick, careful work by emergency crews saved two people after their pickup truck plunged off a bridge, leaving them dangling above a deep gorge in southern Idaho on Monday. So these people were like hanging off a bridge somehow in inside of a truck, like hanging in a gorge and and were like rescued from that situation. That sounds so scary. Yeah, but like everybody's okay. But um. A uh, Idaho State Police spokeswoman said troopers responded to the accident in the mid-afternoon and found a man and woman trapped inside the truck, dra- dangling roughly 100 feet above the gorge. Um, they say the victims were uh, safely rescued and taken to nearby hospitals with um, small injuries that appear to not be life-threatening. The cause of the accident remains under investigation. So this did not say, like, what exactly happened and how they ended up in that situation. <laughs> right. Um I bet you're wondering how I yeah. got here. I bet you're wondering. <laughs> There's a llama in the back seat. Like what? Um, that's a that's a joke from uh, from um, the Emperor's New Groove. In case you have never seen that movie, I would highly recommend. <laughs> um, yeah, so they were rescued, and this was wild to me. So yeah, that yeah, sounds incredibly scary. But well, good yeah. for those emergency crew. Yeah, people. <laughs> Because I also don't, I can't imagine in my head, like, how they even, like, did this either. Right. Like, it it doesn't, did, did they give any details on, like, what the actual rescue involved? Like, it wasn't, like, was it pulling no. the truck back up? Or did they, like, have to go down and, like, pull the people up themselves? I don't know. It didn't say. Um, they might have been pulling the truck actually back up because it says that they use, like, chains and another mm. vehicle. Yeah. So maybe they somehow, like... They just got something heavier. Got down and, like, attached it to the back and then attached it to another heavier vehicle and actually, like, slowly pulled it back up Yeah, or something. Yeah, I wonder how the, I wonder if the pickup truck is okay. I, I think the, it's probably not. <laughs> oh. <laughs> we can joke about it because they're, everyone's okay. Yeah. 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 My next story is Space News. This is from Live Science. Mars may hide oceans of water beneath its crust, study finds, which is a very misleading headline. There's not, like, liquid oceans of water under Mars. Yeah, I was just about to... Crust. It's, like, the water is, like, in the crust. Like, the components of it are in the crust. Like, the the hydrogen and oxygen. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
it's a very it's a bad headline. <laughs> it's objectively bad. Um, but anyway, uh, oceans worth of water may remain buried in the crust of Mars. Again, not a good way of putting that. But not uh, but not lost to space as previously long thought, according to a new study. Uh, so prior work found that Mars was once wet enough to cover its entire surface with an ocean of water about 330 to 4,920 feet deep. Whoa. Pretty big range there. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's, they said it can, volume-wise it contained about half as much water as the Atlantic Ocean, um, assuming the entire surface was covered, which obviously, we, that's probably not true, but... Mm-hmm. Um, so previously, scientists thought that after the red planet lost its protective magnetic field, solar radiation and the solar wind stripped it of much of its air and water. The amount of water Mars still possesses in its atmosphere and ice would only cover it with a global layer of water about 65 to 130 feet thick. So much less than it used to have. Um, however, data from previous missions also revealed that at the rate water disappears from the red planet's atmosphere, Mars would have lost a global ocean of water only about 10 to 82 feet deep over the course of 4.5 billion years. That's really weirdly worded. But basically, the way um, the current, like our understanding of the rate at which water disappears from the red planet's atmosphere, Mars, I don't know why they say red Anyway, um, the rate at which it disappears would mean that it only lost 10 to 82 feet as opposed to like, 200 to 4,000 feet. Like it doesn't, that water going out of the atmosphere into space doesn't account for all the water that's missing. That's basically something's not adding up and they don't know the answer to that. And they're trying to answer that question with this theory. Okay. Okay. That this new, that this new study provided. Gotcha. It's very poorly worded. I'm realizing now. Um, (laughs) anyway, uh, (laughs) um, So now scientists think that much of the water Mars once had may remain hidden in the crust of Mars, uh, (laughs) locked away in the crystal structures of rocks beneath the Martian surface. And they detailed their findings on March 16th in the journal Science and at the Lunar Planetary Science Conference. Uh, In the new study, which, why is it the Lunar Planetary? I guess it's a lunar and planetary, probably. Oh, okay, yeah, that that makes sense. Mars is not lunar. (laughs) Right. Full of holes the, here. The Lunar and Planetary <laughs> Conference. Yeah. Um, but in the, in the new study, the scientists found that chemical reactions may have led 30 to 99% of the water that Mars initially had to get locked into minerals and buried in the planet's crust. A pretty large, large range. Um, <laughs> but they said that it varies so wildly because uh, of the uncertainty they have over the rate at which Mars lost water to space in the distant past. So they, again, like... Our current understanding of the rate of water doesn't explain, like, how much disappeared, but we also don't know that rate well enough to say for sure how much, like, has evaporated, Mm. essentially, into space. Okay. Um, They went into a lot of really complicated details about, like, the actual chemical structure of these things, the difference between hydrogen and, like, it's, like, called deuterium or something, which is hydrogen, but it has an extra neutron. Oh. Um, And, like, the deuterium, like... The deuterium is heavier because of that extra neutron, so it's less likely for it to escape into the atmosphere. Okay. And, like, based on the ratios of that to regular hydrogen in Mars's atmosphere, they can determine, like, how much stuff has evaporated, essentially. I didn't fully follow it myself, but all the details are in the article, which will, of course, be included in our show notes. Um, But uh, 
I just thought that was interesting. So it just it's a new theory as to where all that water went, and it's not necessary. Like it doesn't necessarily tell us like, oh, we could just like squeeze the rocks on Mars, and all this water is going to come out. Um, yeah, because it sounds like it's been sort of it's just deconstructed. Part of it. Right, it sounds like it's the components ground. of the water as opposed to the water itself. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hmm. I think they specifically said like you would have to heat a bunch of rocks to get this like to get the water out of it essentially, and I, I don't fully understand the chemical like yeah, science I I behind either. that. But smarter people than us are probably going to go to Mars if people go to Mars. So hopefully they'll be able to Astro figure it out. Astro <laughs> chemists, yes, probably no. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I have no idea. But this whole conversation made me want to watch The Martian again. <laughs> I know you love that movie. I do love that movie. It's so good. It's a good movie. I've only seen it one time, but I enjoyed it. I read the book, too. Oh, show off. My next story is archaeology news. This is from SmithsonianMag.com. And the headline is, scientists may have discovered how the ancient Greeks' first computer tracked the cosmos. Did you know that the ancient Greeks made a machine that some people refer to as the first ever analog computer? I think I have. Because I didn't. I think I saw, I think I might have seen this article. Oh. But I didn't, I saw the headline and I moved on. Okay. Because <laughs> it looks scary. It, it's actually, it's not scary. It's not scary. Oh, it's, okay. It's. It actually didn't go into the the detail. It didn't go into enough detail for me to go into enough detail here to scare anyone. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. Excellent. <laughs> so we should be okay. So first discovered by divers in a Roman era shipwreck in 1901, researchers have puzzled over the extraordinary Antikythera mechanism for decades. That's the name of this thing. Oh. The, the Antikythera mechanism. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. I don't know. Yeah, I have no idea. This handheld device dates back 2,000 years and predicted astronomical events, such as the movement of the planets and lunar and solar eclipses for its ancient Greek users. Its stunningly sophisticated design has led many researchers to dub the invention the world's first analog computer. Yet how exactly the mechanism might have worked is still up for debate. Because the ancient device has only survived in 82 discombobulated, partially disintegrated fragments. <laughs> so the way that they kind of described it is, is it's like, it's like a pile of gears <laughs> that they think all kind of fit together, but they don't really know how, how they, exactly. Wait, how did they determine that this pile of gears is used for like astron? Because like people have been studying it for like a hundred okay. years and have been slowly figuring things out about this uh-huh. thing. <laughs> so it's just funny. Just like is. here's a pile of gears. It predicts solar yeah, eclipses, right? I yeah, I don't have a straight answer for you, but people have been studying it for for many years and like slowly just kind of coming out with like theories about like oh this part I think this is how it works, basically. So, okay, so like the news is that another person has more another publication has come out on a new theory on how part of this thing works. Mm-hmm. Um, so last week, a team of researchers from the University College of London proposed a major step forward, a theoretical model for how the front part of the mechanism, which displayed the ancient Greek order of the universe, might have worked. 
I'm not really realizing I don't know what they mean by Greek order of the universe. So we'll just uh, <laughs> let's move on from that. This device was once composed of more than 30 interlocking bronze gears that predicted the phases of the moon, eclipses, and dates of the Olympics and the movement of planets and stars. The design reflected an ancient Greek understanding of the universe with the Earth at its center. So that was before they knew. Oh, right. They didn't know. The, uh... that. Do you remember that word? Because I don't remember that word. Right I remember now. heliocentric is the sun. I don't remember yeah. what the Earth one is. Is it just geocentric? Geocentric? Yeah, that makes sense logically. I don't uh, remember if that's the right have, word. I don't know. I might have just made it. For the that purposes up. of this discussion, we'll say geocentric. Yes. Okay. It, it was a geocentric model. Mm-hmm. And they've figured that out, I guess. So apparently, the new proposed model involves the incorporation of certain metal pieces that they aren't actually sure yet if the Greeks could have actually physically like created oh. back then. Uh-huh. But. Yeah, but they they figured out a way that this this front part could have worked, and they published that. And now they're working to see if they can actually like physically create a model of that um, in real life using methods that actually were available to them. Mm-hmm. So that's part two that is currently in progress. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, but if they if they're able to do it, then they will have kind of like figured out another piece of the puzzle, basically, of like how this thing worked. I guess that's really cool. Um. Yeah, it's I I just I thought that was this was cool cuz I had never heard of this thing before that apparently just has been around and people study it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I didn't know. Yeah, I remember seeing the headline and they were acting like it was some like well-known machine that like has just been a mystery to the public and it's like I yeah, didn't even like, know that it existed. I've never heard this, of this. So. Um Yeah, but it's cool and like the the pictures of it are like just pictures of like art of these artifact gear things. It's like not that, but they had like this one like rendering that I don't know how accurate it was. It's just, hmm. yeah. I'm assuming that people have come up with different rendering. It's like how this might have looked when it was all simple right. and stuff. <laughs> when all the gears were in the right place in instead right of in a pile. Places. Yeah. Right. <laughs> My next story is science news. This is from NPR. Scientists create living entities in the lab that closely resemble human embryos. What? Yeah. Whoa. This is super cool. Um, So, for decades, science has been trying to unlock the mysteries of how a single cell becomes a fully formed human being and what goes wrong to cause genetic diseases, infertility, and Mm -hmm. other problems. Um, uh, They pointed out, like, crucial periods of embryonic development are hidden inside the uterus during pregnancies, obviously, which makes them inaccessible to study. Conducting experiments on human embryos in the lab is difficult and controversial, obviously. Yep. (laughs) Um, But now scientists have created living entities in their labs that resemble human embryos, the results of two new experiments that are the most complete such model embryos developed to date. Uh, The goal of the experiments is to gain important insights into early human development and find new ways to prevent birth defects and treat fertility problems. Uh, and so in recent years, scientists started creating structures that resemble human embryos in a lab by using chemical signals to coax cells into forming themselves into entities that look like very primitive human embryos. Um, what they ended up creating were these hollow balls of cells that closely resemble embryos at the stage when they usually implant in the womb, uh, known as blastocysts. Um, and the new laboratory made embryo-like entities have been dubbed blastoids, 
which sounds very close to the Pokemon Blastoise. Blastoise. That's exactly what I thought. That is the exact but, uh, thing that I thought immediately. Okay. But yeah, they, they said the Blastoids appear to have enough differences from naturally formed embryos to prevent them from ever becoming a viable fetus, but they are very, very close, like to the point where they can like study them as if they were. So basically they found a way to like easily create a bunch of these things for like lab study without okay, like, okay. using actual human yeah. like, embryos. Uh, obviously the research comes with some difficult and unusual ethical implications, which the article goes into a lot of detail on because like how close to human is too close to human, like that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, but it could lead to some important advances in understanding early human development as well. Like, I think it's really cool. I, it's, it seems like just like the fact that they can create like a bunch of these things really easily and really Mm -hmm. quickly and then, I mean, that's what experiments are all about is just doing the same thing over and over and like right. repeating and like trying to get and like seeing what happens. And like it just yeah. for something that is like has previously been completely inaccessible, like just not something we even have the yeah. means to try. There's like with. so. Well, I actually think we talked about this on the show once, like a long time ago, about how there's like all sorts of regulations and laws and stuff surrounding like embryo research that mm-hmm. like you just have to like after a certain point of the cells growing you have to like just destroy yeah there's all a, your stuff. there's something called the 14 day rule where after yeah. four, like after 14 days you can no longer like do anything with the embryo which like might be something they can relax for something like this but mm-hmm. it's it's still unclear because it's so new obviously yeah what the what the implications of that are but it's yeah there's, there's so much we don't understand about that part of human development. Right. And there's so many, like they mentioned, like diseases and, and other issues with birth, like related to that time that we just like have no way of knowing anything about. Yeah. And now we might, right. we d- which yeah. is really cool. Which, it is really cool. It is really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I'm, I'm, it, it sounds like they found a, a, like a, almost like a compromise kind of way forward right. of, of how to be able to study this without, you know, potentially doing something actually unethical. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I, that's great. That's actually super exciting because you're. I mean, you're right. Like, there's we. There's so much we don't know about mm-hmm. that phase of development because it's like impossible. I mean, you can't like observe it in right. a person because the it's like a teeny tiny cell. You know what I yeah, mean? Exactly. Cells. So no, I, I, that's cool. I thought that's it was really like, cool. It was really exciting. And yeah. who knows what we'll see from this? They they think it could really yeah. lead to some stuff very quickly because it's just again something we've never been able. to Yeah, do. that's super exciting. I bet they're gonna. I bet they're gonna find. Yeah. New like insights and stuff very quickly. Yeah, I'm really excited to see what happens. Cool. Okay, my next story is also science news. This is another one from SmithsonianMag.com. And the headline is Russian scientists sink giant deep water neutrino telescope into world's largest freshwater lake. They put a telescope Yay. in a lake? They did. It's a neutrino telescope. What does that mean? I will explain. <laughs> Last week, researchers plunged the world's largest underwater telescope into the depths of Siberia's Lake Baikal. The spherical telescope, called the Baikal Gigaton Volume Detector, or Baikal GVD, is designed to detect and observe neutrinos. Neutrinos are the smallest, most abundant particles within the universe and could be the reason matter exists. Oh. <laughs> I don't that's really know why that's true. That's a lot of something so small. 
Yeah. Um, they're also called ghost particles. Ooh, spooky. Um, the ghost particles are so plentiful that trillions of them pass through the human body every second. Can you feel them? <laughs> now, I, now I can. <laughs> the particles are incredibly hard to capture because they travel almost at the speed of light. Although abundant, neutrinos are not absorbed by matter or deflected by magnetic fields. They only interact with gravity and weak force, which in particle physics is a term used to describe the interaction responsible for subatomic particle decay. Don't really know what that means, but if you're a particle physicist, maybe you'll know what I mean. Yeah, I've heard the term before, but I still don't understand what it means. I, I'm guessing it's some type of like subatomic like attractions particle Mm, attractions forces that makes sense yeah although similar to electrons neutrinos do not carry an electric charge and have almost no mass okay after all this you're probably wondering how do they even detect them at all ever (laughs) i was also wondering by sinking a giant Um, ball into a lake and that wasn't really described in super detail but um this says because neutrinos are neutral and hardly interact with anything they are challenging to detect (laughs) we figured that out Uh but not impossible Areas that are bountiful in water and ice, like lakes and glaciers, are the best places to detect them. It didn't really explain why, but I'm assuming because like it's really cold and maybe they like don't so move as fast. So they shiver, and then you can see them shivering, probably. Yeah, yeah, that's probably that's probably it. it. That's probably it. Okay, so check this out. For example, the Ice Cube Neutrino Observatory is a thing, and it's <laughs> it's this like. Okay machine that's fully encased in ice and underwater in the South Pole and used by scientists to study neutrinos. All right. And that was just an example of, like, that's how they study neutrinos. They do that. So um, basically, like, this new thing, they're calling it a telescope, but I think it's, like... Right, it sounds more like a microscope or some kind of, like... It's a... Really tiny scope. It's a scope. It's... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's not seeing things that are far away, but it's needing to... Yeah, putting it underwater seems like a bad idea if you wanted to see into space. (laughs) Yeah, you're not looking into space. I don't know why it's called a telescope. Yeah. I don't know. Hmm. There's probably some some technicality of what it's doing. But yeah, but that's why they're submerging it underwater um, in Siberia, so it's really cold. And um, yeah, the team hopes to use a telescope to study the fluctuation of neutrinos and their sources. So it's just they're just setting up like another center to, to study these things. And okay. I guess there's only a few places on Earth really that are like the conditions are right for it. So makes sense. So what yeah. what what do we want to know about them if they're so ineffectual? Like they we, don't do anything. They don't do anything. And they're like um, they have like no mass. <laughs> like what's <laughs> according to this. That is a good question. Uh, neutrinos can help researchers understand the early stages of the universe's evolution, dark matter, and the evolution of stars. Okay, so that sounds important. I think it's like they're studying the physics of these particles because it's helping them to understand the physics of like how matter forms in the universe. Okay, that makes sense. And that's the level of detail that I know. <laughs> I don't know any more detail, but yeah. Yeah. So yeah, and I can still feel them. You can still feel them. Oh no! Just trillions of them going through me at, trillions at all moments, at all times. It's horrifying. Huh. <laughs> all right, it's time for breaking news—the part of the show where Anthony and I look up stories that just happened today, or were just posted today, and we read them to you on the fly. Neutrinos. 
Ready, set, go! All right, this is from the PlayStation blog, and it's the latest in a continuing series of Anthony talks about video game stories, just so we, we can talk about video games Yay! on the podcast story. <laughs> uh, the headline is, Play at Home 2021 Update, 10 Free Games to Download This Spring. Um, so Play at Home is a program Sony announced earlier in 2021 to encourage people to stay home and stay safe during the pandemic by giving away free games, which is Sounds my great. favorite kind of coronavirus activity to do is <laughs> <laughs> to stay home and play games. Um, so currently, as part of this program, you can pick up a copy of the PS4 like remake of Ratchet & Clank. Ooh. That's currently free on there. I know you like that game. Yeah. Um, and that's available until March 31st. So if you want to get on it. And like once you install it on your system, it's yours to keep forever. There's no, no strings attached. They're just giving it away. Um, on March 25th, they are introducing five new PlayStation 4 games, as well as four um, PlayStation virtual reality VR games. Um, the five uh, free games you can get are Abzu, which is a fantastical underwater exploration game, which I have played. And oh. It's really cool. It's basically you're just you, you're like a diver and you're exploring these underwater environments with a bunch of fish and stuff, and it just looks cool. Nice. Um, there's some fantasy elements to it too, but I won't give away too much. It's, you can finish it in like a weekend. It's it's great. Nice. Um, there's something called Enter the Gungeon, which is a gun-based dungeon crawler, which I've heard good things about, but I haven't played myself. Mm-hmm. Um, Res Infinite, which is a musical on-rails shooter, which sounded interesting. Um, Subnautica. Subnautica. Which is an underwater survival game, which I know you enjoy. Yes, I played it on PC, and I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, so that's going to be available on PS4, and I definitely want to play it at some point. Uh, and The Witness, which is an open-world puzzle game where you kind of like go around this island and solve all these visual puzzles that have these interesting properties, and you kind oh. of like it's it's really cool how they do it. They you like start with like an easy version of a puzzle, and like you kind of learn the techniques for solving that kind of puzzle, and you like are presented with more and more challenging ones. It's really it's interesting how they kind of like train you to solve the puzzles okay. as you play through it. It's, it's, I like puzzle solving stuff. Yeah. And it's, it's very chill. Cause there's like, it's, there's no combat or anything. You're just going around solving puzzles. Nice. Um, so I highly recommend that one. Um, if you have a PlayStation or if you have the money to buy a PlayStation, <laughs> cause then there'll be free games for you. Free games. Um, also for PlayStation VR, they're, uh, releasing Astrobot rescue mission. Um, a game called Moss, a game called Thumper and a game called paper beast. Hmm. Um, there's a mix of like platformers and puzzle game and like I think Thumper's a rhythm game. Um, I haven't played any of them, even though I have a PlayStation VR. I just haven't hooked it up to my PS5 yet. So, but I'll probably still download the games just to have them. Yeah, that's um, a lot of stuff. Yeah, and in addition to those, on April nineteenth, uh, the uh, critically acclaimed Horizon Zero Dawn. Oh, um, which I, have you played that? No, I haven't. Yet. Okay. Um, that's the complete edition of that game will be available for free from April 19th to May 14th, which is, it's a, an excellent game. I've, I've never actually finished it. I really <laughs> want it. I keep meaning to go back and finish it. This might be what prompts me because I think I own yeah. it. I own a physical copy of it and it'd be nice to have the digital one. So yeah, no, I haven't played that one. I mean, I've, I've heard good things, but yeah, never got to that one. Really cool. There's like the, the whole like premise is that you're, like people in a post-apocalyptic world where there's just like these robot dinosaur things and you kind of over the course of the game figure out like 
how the world came to be in that state. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to say too much because like discovering all that is part of the story. Oh yeah. And it's kind of fun, but it's, yeah, it's a really, it's a really fun game with some like really unique ideas and highly recommend grabbing it, especially for free. Yeah. If it's free. Yeah, for sure. But I think that's, I think this is such a cool thing that they're doing just to encourage people to stay home. Here's a bunch of really like a lot of these that I, I've played multiple of them and they're excellent games. So yeah, there's some really there's good games it's, on that list. It's quality it's not, stuff. It's yeah. not like they're just throwing like their most garbagey games that you've ever Right, <laughs> right, right, right. No, this is For this sure. is good stuff. That's cool. Yeah, okay. I, I will definitely check that out. Do it. Because I have a PS4. Do not have a PS5, but That's okay. maybe a eventually. Lot of people we'll don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I'd say most people don't yet. Yeah. Um, but maybe eventually we'll get one of those too, because they're just everything looks so nice. It does. <laughs> yeah. I found this short story on UPI. The headline is New York business 1100 square foot shamrock aims for world record. So uh, this business in New York, um, it's an inn, I guess, on Long Island, uh, painted a giant shamrock in their parking lot. Okay. And before they did this, the largest shamrock painted in a parking lot (laughs) was in... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> O'Neill, Nebraska. Okay. Uh painted in 1993, it sounds like. Um but that they didn't go for like an official Guinness record for that though, but that's just known to be a thing, I guess. <laughs> it is known. But now this inn <laughs> it is known. This inn <laughs> painted a larger shamrock and they're going to actually apply for a Guinness record for the largest <laughs> shamrock. Okay. <laughs> I guess in the spirit of St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. Um, Let's realize it's today. That yes, the day today is St. Patrick's Day. Saint Patrick's yes, day. the day That's we're the recording. First story that we've had about it. <laughs> we had no themed things except for now. Yay. Um, and it was yeah, it was unveiled. I guess to to coincide with the St. Patrick's Day celebrations happening in that town. Hmm. Um. And that's the whole story. <laughs> and yeah, it's 1,100 square feet. It's a big old shamrock. It's very large. How much paint does something like that take? Ooh, probably like Like at least 10... a gallon. Oh, <laughs> I was going to say 10 gallons. Is that too much? Is that too little? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, a gallon. Is... I, no I was idea. definitely kidding when I said a gallon. Okay, yeah. For a second, I was like, was I way off? Do I just not know I about have, paint? I have no concept of, like, surface area. No, it's definitely area. not a gallon. Like, it probably would be, like, I'm looking at the, I'm actually trying to figure this out, but, like, in the picture, I have no, I don't know. I, I Two gallons. <laughs> Two gallons. <laughs> <laughs> no idea, no idea. It's pretty yeah. big. It's, there's this, like, aerial view of it, and it's, like, the whole, I'm sorry, I should show you. I'm just, like, looking at it and not showing you. Okay, yeah, it's pretty big. It's like, it's a parking lot. Yeah. This says that evidence from the new Shamrock is being submitted to Guinness, and I'm just kind of laughing a little bit, because what is the evidence? It's just a picture of it? Yeah. Next to a really, really, really long measuring tape, or... Or like a real Shamrock, so you can be like, this one's way bigger. (laughs) (laughs) They've zoomed in on a real Shamrock. And there's a video, and it just slowly zooms out for like 10 minutes until it's the full Exactly. Yeah. All right. That's our show. Thanks for listening, everybody. We post episodes every Friday. And as always, the links to this week's stories will be in the episode description. 
Yeah, and maybe to celebrate with us our 150th episode, you could leave us a review and a rating on uh, yeah. Apple Podcasts. Uh, five stars, please. We would love we would if love you would review. rate us yeah. if you haven't already. If you haven't already. And also, if you have already, just do it again. <laughs> There's no See laws if it'll let you it. if it'll let you do it twice. No I one's mean, gonna stop you, know? you except maybe. I mean, Apple might. I don't know what their software is. You could also tell a friend. Yeah, tell a friend to rate us five stars. To, and then also, I guess, listen to us. Also tell listen. a friend to listen to our. If you have a friend that likes random science and just random wholesome things in the news, like tell yeah. them and have them listen to an episode. And then tell them to it. rate and review it five stars only. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Um, but yeah, if you want to find us on social media, check the previous episodes. This ending is already too long. <laughs> okay. All right. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.